0: Sometimes we think Christmas is about us, and not about a lost world. You know, when it gets down to it, the manger is about a lost world. The stable is about a lost world. And and we can get caught up in our parties, in our planning, and we, you know, we get all our stuff and all our appetizers and all our outdoors. I I, I remember when when we were on staff at Roswell Street, Dr. Price always went on a diet, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, it just seems such a sick thing to do to the rest of us. And he always went on it, and he told us, you know, I'm planning on losing ten pounds during the holidays. And I said, I'm planning on gaining ten pounds at the next party. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. Why are you do? Wait till January, make a resolution. But he always made this big deal. And we'd go to staff meetings. He say, you know, I've lost three pounds this week, and I'm thinking i got three parties to go to, and they're going to have those little sausage balls and all that stuff and, and cheese balls. And, and Forget you. I'm going to go with God in the party. I mean, that's where I'm going. But if you drive around enough or if you go to enough people's homes, you will find, even in some people that don't celebrate Christmas for what it really is, you will find maybe a nativity scene. Uh, we have an olive wood nativity scene in, in our home that uh, we brought from uh, Israel a few years ago. And it's got all the pieces to it. It's got the shepherds and the wise men and the donkeys and the cattle and the baby Jesus and everything else. And, and uh, I do remember the story of a guy who, who put up the nativity scene and they couldn't find the baby Jesus. Maybe that's what's wrong with us today. We know the nativity scene, but we can't find the baby Jesus. I wonder what that was like when God planned that first Christmas, when God planned for His Son to be born into a manger, into a cattle stall. I wonder what He was thinking. I wonder how many people there. We don't know. We assume it's three wise men because they brought three gifts. It could have been 50. We don't know. We, we speculate about all that. But what makes the nativity special is not the number of the wise men. What makes it special is not the shepherds. What makes it special is not even the angels singing. What makes it special is that God showed up on what for everybody else was an ordinary night And suddenly Jesus impacts the culture and with all the festivities and all the festivals and all the things that have been done, here God in one moment, in one person, at one time, fulfills all the prophecies of a coming Messiah. Now, let me just explain that to you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, but let me just explain that to you for a second. For one person... If somebody says to you, well, I don't know that Christ is the only way. Or what if there are people that came after him? What if, what if Joseph Smith is the way? What if Mohammed is the way? For those that would say Christ is not the Son of God, the way to God, let me just give you just a little mathematical fact. To just fulfill eight, eight of the prophecies related to the coming Messiah, just eight In one person, at one time, would be one out of one hundred quadrillion chances. Quadrillion. That's like 17 zeros. For one person to fulfill all the prophecies about God coming as Messiah in flesh to save us a hundred quadrillion. Now let me just kind of put that in terms because I didn't do really good in math. So let me put that in terms we can understand. Take the state of Texas, the state of Texas and fill it from border to border every square inch with silver dollars and have one silver dollar that you have marked with a cross and put it in the state of Texas, and then mix it all up, go all through, and just turn the coins over, over and over and over. First of all, those coins are two feet deep. So the entire state of Texas is covered in coins two feet deep, and then put a man with a blindfold on and say, reach down and find the one that has the red cross on it. That's the chances of one person fulfilling all the prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah. Of one person at one time fulfilling all of those. So when you read Matthew chapter 2, you need to think through how significant this is. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, For this is what has been written by the prophet. So they're just referring to a prophecy, one prophecy. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them where the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, "'Go and search carefully for the child, "'and when you have found him, report to me, "'so that I too may come and worship him.' "'And after hearing the king, they went their way, "'and the star which they had seen in the east "'went on before them until it came "'and stood over the place where the child was. "'When they saw the star, they rejoiced "'exceedingly with great joy. "'After coming into the house, they saw the child,' With Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. So let's look at three things this morning. First of all, the star was the eternal GPS. Now, I don't know. If you have thought about this, but your nav system in your car or your Garmin or your maps on your phone are all tied to this GPS system, this tracking system with satellites that are tens of thousands of miles up in the air. We can't see them. We don't know where they are. We don't know how many they are. By the way, they're all spying on you. So I just want to increase your paranoia because they know where you are all the time. You know, you can go on and search for something on Amazon and then your Facebook page starts showing ads about that. People are watching you. (laughs) God's watching you. He knows every move you make. He knows everywhere you go. He knows everything you do. And so God guided them by this star, a unique star, a specific star that guided these magi to this place. God brought them, he assigned and he had commissioned a star of all his creation, of all the ways that he could have led them. He led them by a star and it led them first to Jerusalem and then about five miles away to Bethlehem and then exactly to the location of Joseph and Mary and Jesus. You see, you cannot find God without God guiding you. You don't just haphazardly find God. You find him as he guides you. He leads you to himself. Now, when God gives us a GPS to say, this is how you get to your location, this is how you get to where you need to be, you can choose to follow it, or you can choose to do your own thing. You can choose to follow the path that God has for you that takes you to Christ, that takes you to an abundant life, or you can choose your own path. That's exactly what happened. Here are three magi. These are not men who know the Bible, but God has revealed himself to them, and they start on a journey, and they follow a star, and they end up with Jesus. At the same time, there are chief priests and scribes who studied the Scriptures who knew the facts, who were religious, and they didn't even bother to go see if this might be true. They knew it all. Well, there's a star that's been guiding us. It's, it's told us that we would come to this point. Where is the Christ child going to be born? In Bethlehem. And the religious leader said, if it's him, we'll find out sooner or later. You see, God can show you something, but you may not follow it. God can reveal himself, but you may choose to reject the revelation of what he's done. And so today we are here and we all need guidance. The Spirit guides us, the Bible says, in, into all truth. And we're overwhelmed and we get on tough paths sometimes and we're on rocky roads and we end up in life's detours. And, and you need a guide. I mean, you need a guide. How does God guide us? He guides us by his word. He guides us by His Spirit, and He guides us by other believers, by wise counsel from other believers. And by the way, don't ever listen to a believer who gives you a hunch. Make sure they're acting on the basis of of God's wisdom, that they've listened to the Word, and they've listened to the Spirit, and they are listening to God's guidance in their own lives. God wants to guide us. Now, do we want to listen? Do we want to follow I mean, God hasn't given us a star. He's given us his son to guide us. And you got to know this. You and I did not get to Jesus haphazardly. You and I did not get to Jesus by following our path. God met us on a path somewhere. Where our life was not in the right direction, we were not making the right turns, we were not listening, and suddenly God, by His Spirit, began to work on us and speak to us and tell us that there was something missing in our lives. These wise men followed directions. Now, some of us have had the privilege of putting together things for Christmas, and never looking at the directions I got this figured out I mean this is for a five-year-old any adult can figure out this is for a five-year-old I can put this together And, and so you're just there and you're saying words you shouldn't say about a child's toy you are cursing someone that designed this that you've never met you're angry, you're frustrated, you're bent out of shape. Your, your love of Jesus has gone out the window completely. And then your wife looks at you and says, there's a little book that came with this. might want to look at it. Well, there's a book that came with instructions. It's called the Bible. The magi follow the star we follow the word the bible Now, now here's here's why we need to be intentional about our understanding and our communicating about christmas we live in a world that is increasingly dropping the name of jesus out of christmas that's just the world we're in we can gripe about it or we can say, well, it's time for us to go on the offensive. And I'm not talking about trying to be offensive. I'm talking about talking about what Christmas is really all about. You know, I'm not talking about symbols. I'm talking about substance. And so, you know, schools have now dropped any reference to Christ. You know, even when Terry was teaching back in the 1980s in Cobb County, even when she was teaching, she could not say Merry Christmas because it might offend someone. Well, it offends me if somebody steals my parking space, but I get over it, you know? I mean, it, it might offend somebody. And so we have to drop all references so we, we can't sing, oh, little town of Bethlehem. We, we cannot sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And so what we've done is we've replaced it with all the songs that we love that are fun to sing, like Frosty the Snowman, you know, Winter Wonderland. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I mean, if I didn't know any better, I would think that we were worshiping at the church of the meteorologist. Because all the songs are about the weather. But there is enough of God still left in this land that people are without excuse. There's still enough of Christ in Christmas that people are without excuse. And what Jesus came to give us was peace and hope and joy and forgiveness and mercy. And you can't put a price tag on that. And by the way, when you find it, you never take it back for return. Secondly, the stable reminds us that Jesus came to a real world. The king of glory came to a sinful earth. The stables were dirty and smelly. They provided shelter for animals. It it was probably cold and dark and damp. There were mice and rats running around the place. It smelled of dirty animals. And that's where God chose to show up. Now, there were no five-star hotels in Bethlehem. There are no five-star hotels in Bethlehem today. But why, if God loved us, why wouldn't he show that by making his son come and stay in a nice palatial palace? After all, he's given up glory, he's given up heaven to come down to this messy earth. At least he could have a clean, sanitized environment to be born in. Because God did not disassociate himself from a hurting world. God chose to identify with the world in which you live and in which I live, with the messiness, with the ugliness, with the unsanitized part of this world. God could have deliberately chosen to do something else, but he didn't. Jesus did not live a sheltered life. He was not raised in a mansion or in a palace. He was raised by common people in a common family. His dad was a blue-collar carpenter, He had to work every day. He had to learn a trade as a child. Probably worked as a carpenter for the bulk of his 30 years before he began his public ministry. They scraped out in existence. They lived mostly by bread. Very little meat to eat. Very little to sustain them. That's why the average age at the time of Christ was probably somewhere in the 30's because the health standards were so low Jesus could have been born at a time when we have great medical facilities but he wasn't. There was no nurse there, there was no doctor there, it was just this woman and her husband and a child. When he breathed his first breath he probably smelled manure because it was a stable There was no candle burning. There was no incense. There was no essential oils. It just stunk. And God said, that's how much I love you. My son's first breath is going to stink because he's come to a stinking world to be the Rose of Sharon and to bring the aroma of God to a world that really doesn't deserve it. And so Jesus came and it reminds us he came to this real world and because people live in real worlds. Now I know there are people that don't live in real worlds. They're all on the cover of people magazine and you know there are people that don't live in real world, but we live in a real world. I mean, I grew up in a home that was less than 800 square feet. We had one window air conditioner after I'd been born. We didn't have one when I was born. Most of the nights we slept with the windows open. We didn't have screens. If they had screens, it had holes in it. So the mosquitoes and the flies got in. We had one bathroom. The three of us shared that one bathroom. We had one heater in the house. It was one of those old gas heaters about this big. It was in the living room, and my parents would turn it up until it was time to go to bed. Then they would turn it off so you'd sleep under the covers. I never enjoyed Grandma's quilt so much as when she'd turn that heater off. I grew up with a family that struggled financially. My parents never bought a a new car until I was in high school. They drove 10-year-old cars and pieced them together and put them together, and they rusted, and, and they got hit by hurricanes. I mean, my dad just eked out a living. For us to have roast beef on a Sunday was a privilege. For us to have any kind of meat other than bologna or have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich was a privilege. God came into a world full of people just like that, eking out life and eking out an existence and said, I came to make your life better. Not maybe better financially, but better inside. I came to touch your life. I came to change your life. I came to give you hope. Jesus came to a real world and lived a real life and had real life experiences. He worked a real job. And When the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, we need to see that God so loved the world, the pain of the world, the stench of the world, the agony, the disappointment, the suffering of the world. And God can say emphatically, I've been here and I've done that. I've been where you are. I've been through what you've been through. And he was hated. He was despised. He was lied about. He was discriminated against. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was abandoned. And he died the most painful death anybody could possibly die so that he could identify with us. Jesus changes everything. Lastly, the manger was transformed. The ordinary became extraordinary. The natural became supernatural. This wasn't a high-class crib, it was a feeding trough. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about, in in all your gift-giving and all your thinking about what God has done for you, have you ever thought about the fact that when we do funerals, we say, you know, everybody wants to read John 14 I go to prepare a place for you there's got a mansion in the promised land I got a mansion in glory listen the only reason you got a mansion in glory is because God went to a stable God gave up a mansion so that you could have one that ought to be worth something that'll be worth our worship that ought to be worth our time that ought to be worth our energy it ought to be worth our finances our resources our servant heart it ought to be worth something that god did not hold in contempt a manger and a stable but he embraced it so that we could one day have a home in heaven suddenly this manger was a place where god laid his head it was transformed into something that nobody would ever think about as a bed for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But you know I think the manger is symbolic because when ordinary people like you and me give our lives to Jesus it transforms us and we quit being ordinary and we are ordinary with abundance. And that abundance is not more of us, it's Him. It's His life, it's His peace, it's His joy, it's His glory, it's His presence, it's His purpose that He gives us. You see, we were all sinners in need of a Savior. There was nothing about me or about you that was worth saving. But one day, we realized that we could not save ourselves. We couldn't be good enough, nice enough we couldn't give enough we couldn't serve enough we couldn't be religious enough to get to heaven and to be saved and so God sent his son and we gave our lives to Jesus and then broken down hopeless sinners were put together and given hope here's what Christmas has become Christmas has become about me what are you gonna get me here's my list All the advertisements about Christmas are about me. What are you going to get me? Now you got a commercial where children are hugging a brand new car. Oh, this is my car. And then the child turns into an adult. But you know, the reality is the older we get, our toys just get bigger. And we worship stuff and things it's all about what are we gonna get everybody's advertising to try to bait you and your kids that what they need is more stuff when what they need is more of the love of Jesus because stuff can be taken away stuff can be gone the stuff breaks I mean there are millions upon millions of dollars of stuff that's going to be taken back on the 26th of December because they didn't like the stuff you got them or it wasn't the right size or it wasn't this you realize over 35% of gifts bought on Amazon last year were returned the next week that's how much people appreciate your gifts oh thank you so much get the return receipt we're sending that back to Amazon Nobody has ever gotten the gift of Jesus Christ and said, I'd like to return that. When you get Jesus, you get a gift you don't want to return. When you get Jesus, you get life abundantly. In Jesus, we find grace, we find forgiveness, and we find hope. We're transformed by his life. And the question comes, will we let Christ transform us? Now, we may have been transformed in the fact that we are saved and we know Jesus. But will he transform the way we think about this year? Or have we been sucked into the trap of, it's all about me? But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you have a choice. Just like the chief priests and the scribes had a choice, the magi had a choice. The magi choose to go and examine and follow this star to see where it led, the, the king of the Jews. They knew he was the king of the Jews. The people that knew who the king of the Jews would be, a Messiah, didn't even bother to go check him out. So we have a choice. We can worship him as the king of the Jews, as our Messiah. By the way, for those that are always against the Jews, you wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for a Jew. That's right. Amen. A Jewish man died for you. Be careful how you treat the Jews. God decided that's the way salvation is going to come is through the Jews. So before you buy the lie that the Jews should have been wiped out, you might need to remember you'd go to hell without a Jew. So you can embrace him. Or you can let Christmas go, take the decorations down, take the ornaments off the tree, put the tree up in the attic, take it out by the street, let them pick it up. You can put all the boxes in the garbage can and live another year of just existing or you can give your heart to him see if this world had needed an economist God would have sent an economist if this world had needed more technology God would have sent a scientist or an engineer If this world had needed education, God would have sent a teacher. If this world just needed physical help, God would have sent a government worker. If this world just needed physical help, he might have sent a doctor. But what this world needed and what you need and what I need is forgiveness. And for that, it cost him his son. To give you forgiveness and to give me forgiveness cost God the best gift he could ever give us and he gave it willingly and Jesus came willingly to die so that you might have life in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me please? I want to ask you today, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Has there come a point in your life where you have asked Christ to forgive you of your sin, to save you, to change you, to cleanse you so that you could have life in Christ? Have you done that? There's nothing you can give Jesus that will make him love you anymore. There's nothing you can do that would make him love you anymore. He loves you unconditionally and he came and he lived and he died so that you might have life and joy and peace not a perfect life there are problems you're gonna have problems you're gonna have issues there's gonna be stuff to deal with but i'm talking about what changes you on the inside for all eternity and that is a personal relationship with jesus christ the bible says the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord god gave a gift eternal life but you can only get it through jesus The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, which means you can't be good enough to get saved. The Bible says that all have sinned, all of us, no exceptions, and come short of the glory of God. So today I want to ask you, no better place, no better time, no better moment, Do you need to give your life to Jesus today? Everybody that Jesus called, he called publicly. He called them out He said, you come, follow me, come, follow me, come, follow me. Everybody Jesus called, he called publicly. In fact, the scripture says, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. If you confess me before me, and I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven, which means there are no silent Christians. There are no secret agent Christians. They're, they're just those that deny or those that confess. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. And when we pray, after I pray, we're going to stand. Mark's going to lead us in singing and as we begin to sing on that very first note, I'm going to ask you if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are. You may have to turn to somebody and say, would you let me by? That's okay. They'll let you by. They'll be glad to do that. You may want to turn to somebody and say, would you go with me? And they would be glad to come with you. And our men are down here at the front to receive you and to To share with you and then allow you to have some time to make sure you know that this Christmas you get the best gift ever and that is forgiveness through Jesus Christ I'm going to pray as soon as I get through praying we're going to stand I'm going to ask you to step out from wherever you are in this room and to come and make a public profession of your faith in Christ father I ask you in the name of Jesus the name that is above every name The name that gives salvation and grace and peace and hope and joy and mercy. The name that binds up the wounds of our hearts. The name that saves us from our sin. I ask you, in the name of Jesus, would you save lost people today? Would you bring people down these aisles to confess faith in Jesus Christ? Lord, we don't need... Another miserable season of just trying to exist. We need life on your terms. And So Father, I pray for people that need to give their lives today that they would step out and they would come. In Jesus' name, we're standing. People are coming. You sing as Mark leads us.